Coming up on the show today, post-State of the Nation, President Cyril Ramaphosa hosts the Presidential Golf Day. We'll also bring you some analysis and reaction. The EFF prepares to launch its election manifesto tomorrow. A briefing on Casta Semenya's case at the European Court of Human Rights. And it's Friday, so sports and good things too. All of that over the next hour. 702. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. We are still coming to you live from Cape Town today. It is very much the day after the night before uh, the State of the Nation address delivered last night by President Cyril Ramaphosa. We've been bringing you commentary and analysis as well. Uh, so you would have heard all of that. We will replay some of the interviews uh, that uh, I did last night. I spoke to the Electricity Minister, Josien Ramaphosa. Um, of course, the president saying in his state of the nation address last night that uh, load shedding is nearing an end and then of course ironically we went to uh, stage three of load shedding this morning we've gone to stage four of load shedding i'll also uh, play an interview that i did with the eastern cape leader of action essay the former nelson mandela bay um, municipality mayor athel trollope in response to this narrative of tintsualo um, that the president was putting forward i know that there are still people who think that uh, the only frame of reference for tintsualo is a five-star luxury hotel on chapman's peak um, but of course there are many Tinswalos out there and that's the point that we've been making but what is the lived reality of Tinswalos? so we'll bring you all of that throughout the show but today the president is playing golf he is leading the presidential golf challenge held at the Atlantic Beach Golf Estate in Melkbostrand. It's an annual tradition since 1999. And this year, the challenge again raises funds for the Cyril Ramaphosa Foundation. Uh, EWN reporter Babalo Ndenze is there for us. Babalo, good afternoon to you. Um, I saw the a video of the president teeing off. He's got um, some, some good form. Uh, yes, indeed, Mandy. Over the years, it actually does look like his team or his swing has improved. And he was a bit more accurate this year um, than last year, if I remember correctly. So what has he actually been saying, aside from just playing golf? Um, yes, Mandy, we did get a chance to, you know, put a few questions to the president after he, he teed off, um, you know, at the Atlantic Golf Club this, this morning. And he we put to him, you know, and you know, issues around load shedding because he did focus on load shedding during his State of the Nation address yesterday, and you know, soon after that, Eskom ramped up stage load shedding to stage four um, or six hours a day, and you know, the president says he actually does agree or he acknowledges that load shedding, you know, is invoking a lot of anger among South Africans, and you know, he says the, on- the ongoing power cuts have made it pretty uncomfortable. But he says they are pulling all the stops to find a lasting solution to end load shedding. And, you know, the load shedding also follows his own address yesterday where he said, you know, there is an end to the park that is in reach. Uh, But, you know, the the ramping up of load shedding to stage four, you know, kind of does, you know, dismiss that in a way. And he does say that it's a constant problem for South Africans. And, you know, everybody feels it. But he says Minister Hossein Soramohopa is looking into the matter. Um, but let's just listen quickly to what else he said about load shedding, Mandy. 
this happens and uh, it, it will happen for a little while but the ultimate aim is to finally get rid of load shedding and the good thing is that we pulled out all stops and all efforts are being made to make sure that we do address this problem uh, the minister of electricity is now fully engaged with escom and uh, we're doing all we can to ensure that we address load shedding it is a constant problem uh, for south africans we know that and uh, everybody feels it and it's not comfortable at all so, Babalo, what else has the president said about the reaction to his Sona address last night? There really has been some fierce criticism from opposition parties. Yes, the president did touch briefly on Sona and the reaction, but he's pretty happy with, you know, the, the his speech that he delivered last night. And, you know, especially on this, you know, Tinsualo hypothetical that he used yesterday. And he says, you know, there are Tinsualos, different Tinsualos around the country. And, you know, the focus on, on the positive side of things which is, you know, the Tinsoro that he used yesterday, the beneficiary of all these government initiatives. He says that is a Tinsoro that should be acknowledged, uh, you know, and that was really one of the few things that he touched on. It was quite a brief interview with the media, mm. just one or two questions that he took, but he did mention the Tinsoro and how, you know, South Africa is actually, you know, awash with the Tinsoros that are beneficiaries of government's programs. Babalo, thank you very much. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter there, speaking to us from the Presidential Golf Challenge, where the president is playing golf today at the Atlantic Beach Golf Estate in Melkbostrand. I know this is an annual tradition, but I always find it somewhat ironic um, that the president stands up and talks to us about people like Tinsualo and then goes and, and plays golf with, uh, with politicians the next day. There, there is some irony there. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, let's bring you some analysis on the State of the Nation address last night. I know we have been unpacking it and dissecting it, but lots to get through. Dr. Ongama Timka, political analyst, joining us now. Uh, Ongama, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for, for your time today. There, there were some key takeaways from SONA, the extension of the 350 Rand grant, um, also uh, some comments about how the NHI will be signed in soon. Um, but effectively, this was very much a, a stump speech, uh, a manifesto uh, speech. Uh, did you think it was the speech that met the occasion? Ongama, are you with us? Andy, can you hear me? There we go. I can hear you. Go ahead. Oh, good afternoon to you and the listeners. So I think that the one thing we need to recognize is that these are not state of the nation uh, addresses per se. This is uh, selected successes that the president wants to talk about. And as such, it's going to be skewed in terms of its presentation of the assessment of the state of the nation. What I think uh, I was watching very closely is whether the president was going to at least talk to some of the present crises that the country is undergoing, especially energy, logistics, uh, water infrastructure, and also just what is required to stimulate the economy. I also wanted to hear him talk about some of the novel initiatives that have been done during his administration, such as, for example, the presidential youth employment scheme, among others. And I think it was good for the first time to hear 
what the data is as far as that is concerned. Placement of one million young people in schools. Uh, He mentioned something about a network that has got 4.3 million people in its database and 1.6 haven't been placed already. Um, I thought that was that was good. And then he mentioned the the infrastructure, the energy initiatives, 14,000 kilometer transmission line, leveraging both state and private sector investment. And I think it was good to hear about the decline in the backlog in Durban uh, in terms of ship awaiting to bear, ships that are waiting to birth there. In, in a sense, uh, he did highlight some of the, the achievements, some of the successes. Um, the opposition parties have called uh, the Tinsualo story emotional blackmail, that he's living in Wonderland, that he's in some kind of delusion. Um, this is an easy speech for opposition parties to criticise in an election year. Do you think that criticism is fair? It's, 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 it's fair to critique the president or the ANC government, it's not fair to suggest that government mustn't talk about its successes. I mean, we we generally are a society of the glasses half full, half, sorry, half empty in, in terms of our reflection on things. So yes, indeed, there are Tinsualos out there, but uh, in terms of a young person born in 1994, has gone on to uh, acquire a degree and is working. They're only about 12% from part of the 12% of the population. Uh, but I, I don't think it's emotional blackmail. It's good storytelling. Uh, government has mm-hmm. done a lot. And there is a lot to criticize government on that's going bad in the country. So we don't have to fight about the right of the state to talk about, to talk good about the things that it is doing good. There's a lot of bad things to talk about that potentially negate the the successes, you know what I mean? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I've been making the point that I think that it's good narrative storytelling, the use of uh, Tintualo as a device, because we are seeing a lot of people today saying, I am Tintualo, these are my stories. But then, of course, there are people saying, well, you know, I'm an alternative to, to Tintualo. Mm. And this is, the, in South Africa, as you say, we, we are a glass half full kind of country. We tend to have a parochial view about about things in, in this country, saying we, we always think that they're worse than everywhere, everywhere else. Um, but at the same time, there was lack of acknowledgement from the president about things that that are bad absolutely and i think that that's where i say we need to agree when we look at state of the nation addresses what constitutes the areas uh, through which we want to evaluate the state of the nation and for each of those areas what what indicates performance and then this is going to be an easy exercise because we cannot be victims of the president in making the state of the nation to be all the things he wants to talk about and write home about and leave everything else that is not that has not gone well. Uh, so I, I hope that in the seventh administration, we will establish this framework. Look, when it comes to, because even, even I myself was happy to hear the positives. I think that also we, 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 we could be potential victims of spin because remember, around the infrastructure project, the president only says it's, we, we've started, we are increasing and all of that. 
It doesn't say we are at 50% implementation, mm. 75% implementation, yeah. which, uh, I mean, the Umzimfubu project, for example, in the Eastern Cape, that's been talked about since uh, uh, President Mbeki's time, since uh, Nathan right. Valentine's yeah. time as, 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 prime, as, 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 as premier. I mean, how, you can't just say we mm. started that project. We want to see, is it nearing comple- com- completion? Exactly, the bridges, yeah. by the way, I, I, I think it took uh, some flag about the bridges. Look, kudos to uh, Sandra's PR. Those bridges look magnificent. <laughs> them Sikaba yep. and, and them Tentu Bridge. Uh, but in that same vein, uh, Mandy, you would have expected the president, especially after uh, socio-economic infra- social infrastructure. Mm. It's one thing to talk about the mainstream infrastructure. But we, we have kids that are still crossing uh, rivers to go to school. Exactly. So to talk about bridges and, and highlight them Sikaba and them Tentu and leave the dire need for bridges that enable children to have the basic right to education, I think that's, 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 that's just inhumane. Ongama, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Ongama Mtinka, political analyst, uh, joining us there, giving us another view on the President's State of the Nation address last night. 7.02, The Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, after the State of the Nation address last night, uh, we did bring you a live broadcast where various cabinet ministers and opposition party leaders were speaking. I did an interview with the Minister of Electricity, Josienzo Ramachopa. Have a listen. I'm with Dr. Josienzo Ramachopa, the Minister of Electricity. Uh, Minister, so the last Sona, you were the uh, the great big um, presentation. It was the Minister of Electricity. Uh, this year, we heard about the work that's being done the, uh, in terms of load shedding. The President said, through all of these actions, we are confident that the worst is behind us and the end of load shedding is finally within reach. I'm in full agreement. In one of my regular briefings, I've made the point. In fact, I use the metaphor that we have turned the corner. Where does uh, that uh, statement of confidence come from? If you do a juxtaposition of where we were in uh, 2022, uh, October, we lost those three units at Kusile. We returned them back uh, November, September, about um, about uh, uh, 2,400 megawatts, three of those units. We have synchronized now Unit 5 at, uh, at uh, Kusile, and then we'll be returning uh, Unit 4 at Mudupi now in May. And then we know that towards the end of the the last of the remaining units at Kusile is going to come uh, on stream. That is uh, unit number number six. So essentially, there's uh, another, if you like, 1,600 megawatts. And then there's the standard offer program. What this means is that we go out to uh, neighboring countries. Uh, if you have uh, um, excess uh, capacity, we are prepared to buy that at the price that we have determined. Uh, of course, um, now we've got uh, we've contracted about 600 megawatts. We are concluding on another 400 megawatts. But the key really is in the resolution of the transmission. Because we know bit window number 6, 2,000 megawatts remains unallocated. We have gone to bit window number 7. We are going to run into the same problem for as long as we have not resolved the transmission side. The president makes reference to the point that we'll be going out to market. Um, we have designed that solution, tap into the liquidity of the private sector to finance that 14,000 kilometers of expansion. We need upwards of 500 billion rands to do that. We have uh, put the design together. We have determined the priority corridors. We'll start with those priority corridors and they can give us 2,300 megawatts in the short term. Minister, having said all of that, yes, all of that, and I allowed you to say all of that as well, Minister, the reality is that 
many South Africans could not watch the State of the Nation address tonight because they were being load shed. Tsinswalo was being load shed tonight. That is the reality of South Africans. Yes, yes. And then uh, this is a point I want to make. I mean, by any objective measure, any matrix that you want to use, the intensity of load shedding has come down. And that was the first priority. The Minister of Electricity bring down the intensity of load shedding. When we went into September, October, December of uh, uh, 2022, compared to uh, 2023, we know that we are significantly better. The January of 2024, much better than the January of, uh, of 2023. So um, all I'm saying is that we are not yet there, but the intensity is coming down. And the point I want to make is that we will continue to see that trend line. Of course, there will be um, surprises here and there because of the nature of uh, these uh, uh, machines, but I'm confident that you are going to see the intensity coming coming down. The highest we're experiencing now is stage three. We'll continue to go down consistently where you go to one, two, zero, one, until we get to a stage where we have uh, eliminated load shedding. I've illustrated to you how on the ESCOM generation side, there's about uh, 1,600 that is coming on stream. This is before I get to account for new generation capacity from the private sector. And I'm confident that once we announce that package of intervention, you'll see that they will be able in the short term, we've done our calculation, we can get 2,300 megawatts. That's the Minister of Electricity, Josienzo Ravachopa, speaking to me last night. What are your thoughts on that? Send me a WhatsApp voice note, 072-702-1702, So that's the one view. Remember, of course, right after that, we went into stage three of load shedding. This morning, we went into stage four of load shedding. So that's, that's the irony, right? That's the one view. The other view then was a view from Ethel Trollope, who uh, is the Eastern Cape leader of Action SA. And he gave a response to the this uh, Tinsualo narrative that was pre- presented by the president. Have a listen to what he had to say. I don't know where Tinsualo that the president was speaking about lives, but I want to tell you the lived reality of Tinsualo in the Eastern Cape. She no longer believes the undertakings that the president says his government will still do. She lives in a house without electricity and water despite having the infrastructure there. It just doesn't work. Uh, 40,000 learners in the Eastern Cape do not get transport to school that are more than 10 kilometers away because their government in the Eastern Cape says it's a privilege, not a right to go to school and get transport. Tinsualo's siblings die of malnutrition in the Eastern Cape. Her young siblings die of malnutrition in 2024. Her siblings do not receive adequate ECD support and arrive at school disadvantaged and become part of the dropout attrition rate that is not factored into the real matric pass rates. Tinsualo is unemployed, as are 49% of her peers. They battle gang- GBV, gangsterism, alcohol and drug abuse. She lives in a province where corruption is pervasive and it affects her family directly, especially with service delivery. The road and rail networks are broken in the Eastern Cape. So, so on, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but on that point, the president specifically spoke about roads in the Eastern Cape, that potholes are being fixed in the Eastern Cape. It's not true. I mean, Mazeppa Hotel, Mazeppa Bay Hotel closed in the last week on the Wild Coast, one of our most sought-after tourism attractions because people can't get there. That's the real the reality. Trains don't run in the Eastern Cape. The road network does not work. Big motor manufacturing companies, Volkswagen and Ford, have said they're going to close their companies and relocate them. So Tinsualo's uncles and aunts will lose their jobs because the government can't keep the lights on and provide water for them. Um, 
she has to endure clinic with medication shortages and hospitals with doctor and health worker shortages and her political leaders go overseas for medical care. The RDP housing claims that were made are not the lived reality. People who live in RDP houses, their houses fall around behind their, around their ears. Now there's a new phenomenon in the Eastern Cape where people are provided with temporary stroke permanent bungo, bungalow facilities. Cater deployment continues to mean that civil servants that she relies on are not necessarily competent to the, do the job. So what we're going to do, this is an election year, we're going to go back to the Eastern Cape and we're going to tell Tinswalo that the president says she's fine and that she's happy and that she's taken care of. And we're going to ask her parents, do they endorse that? And they will make a decision about how happy and how fine they are in a few short months' time. Ethel Trollope, who is the leader of Action SA in the Eastern Cape, he used to be the mayor of Nelson Mandela Bay Municipality as well. His response there uh, to this narrative of Tinswalo, the Democratic Alliance also putting out a statement during the president's speech about six or seven minutes after he began to mention Tinswalo, saying, well, this is the lived reality of Tinswalo. Uh, on the WhatsApp line, uh, hi, Mandy, I don't believe I'm alone here, but what is Tinswalo? I've heard it being mentioned a lot, but I cannot get a solid answer. So if you didn't watch the State of the Nation address last night and you're confused about who Tinswalo is, if you think it is a luxury hotel on Chapman's Peak, um, Tinswalo was a, a narrative that was used, a device by the president uh, to... Um, as, as a young girl who uh, at the turn of democracy was born, she received education from the government. Uh, she had NSFAS funding. She went to a Tibet college. She was able to get employment uh, through a government employment scheme. And it was the idea that these are the successes. And there are Tintswalos out there. Absolutely. We have to acknowledge that. But there are many other narratives in the story uh, that are not quite as shiny and polished as Tintswalos. WhatsApp Mandy on 072-702-1702. Good afternoon, Mandy, and uh, happy Friday to you and your team. Mandy, the ANC is out of touch. They are, they are way out of touch. I think they're living in Narnia, going through a wardrobe, and uh, it's it's a lack of life uh, for South Africans. And our people must not be fooled. It's finished. This this government needs to go. And uh, come on, guys, we can do this. Thanks, Mandy, and have a lekker weekend. Good afternoon, Mandy. Mandy, when the president talked about this, uh, the Eastern Cape roads that were in a good condition, I felt insulted. You must go to Eastern Cape and see those roads. The, re- the roads are in a bad state. They're in a bad condition. And yet the president said, ah, Eastern Cape has got uh, projects. The Eastern Cape, the roads are good. That's not true. That is not true. Even Mabuyane knows about it. Thank you very much for those WhatsApp voice notes. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. 12.37 on the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk. Well, let's move on from State of the Nation now as you all breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, and let's go to the Oakdale Secondary School in Ennerdale in Joburg where a grade 8 schoolboy died on Wednesday after he was stabbed in a fight between pupils outside the school. Uh, the Gauteng Education Department is saying that uh, a grade 10 pupil who was also involved in that fight is in hospital. The Education MEC Matome Chilwane is visiting the family of 
of uh, the deceased today. Veronica Mahaudi, EWN reporter, is there for us and is with the relatives uh, of the, the, the learner that died. Veronica, good afternoon to you. Tell us about uh, what they've been saying. Well, good afternoon, Mandy. I can tell you that it's been quite uh, an emotional day here, Mandy. The NEC started, of course, at Oakdale Secondary School, where community residents waited outside the gate to hear from him about essentially what needs to be done about what the community has called a deadly bullying crisis here, Mandy. We are standing with Gamba in Chingwa, and, uh, you know, she really didn't mince her words when she had that opportunity to address the NEC, but she's willing to speak to Iverson's News now about just the kind of fear um, her family has been in and what this incident, um, the kind of, you know, a fear that brought into the community. Uh, of course, Gamba, the NEC was there. Are you happy with the way he responded to your family and the community of Enadale? No, hi listeners, hello everyone. I'm really not happy with how the, with how the MC responded to everything because even though he said what he's saying, my brother is still not safe. Currently, he's not going to be able to go to school because of what's happening. He's going to be forever looking out of people that are going to hurt him or what's going uh, to be forever be ter- terrified what's going to happen to him. I just don't like how things were handled and how he keeps promising things that he's not going to do. Because what we were urging with the department is the department to move my younger brother to a different school so that he will not experience what has been happening there. It's, it's really kind of emotional and personal on our side because it started with just a little thing, five friends. What was five friends? Where it ends up, uh, someone's child is dead today and then someone's people, they're busy. And they're, they're just 15, 16 years. They've been taking statements at the police station and then... Like that, that's very traumatic. It's a traumatic experience to to me as the as the older sister. It's a traumatic experience to the family and everyone. I just don't. I'm 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 not. I'm not at ease. I'm not at ease. I just don't like how the MC responded. Just telling us the investigation are ongoing. What's going to happen? The incident should have been prevented. The incident should have been prevented. When my mother went to school on Tuesday to to to, to report the incident of the bullying, they, they should have done something about it before it even got here. Because if they took care of it on Tuesday, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't Mandy, be here. of course, you can hear just the kind of frustration that's, that's coming out. We took a walk about of the school at Oakdale, and I can tell you, Mandy, they were shrubs around the school. The school gates were ripped off. It's so easy for criminals to walk in and out. But their main issue is also the selling of drugs within that community. Sure, Veronica, please extend our, our gratitude there. And uh, thank you so much to her for, for speaking out uh, on, on this issue. What is the MEC actually saying about what's happened? Well, Mandy, the MEC has attributed uh, this, you know, uh, this incident, the stabbing of this young people, Sianda Malinga, to the issues of Enadale, saying that the social ills are somewhat now spilling into the schools. We know that this has been, uh, you know, a a constant conversation in regards to halting schools, which has not been said for really some kind of like, you know, horrific violence that have come into our schools. But what is concerning, Mandy, for this community is that it's not the first time that the Houghton Education Department has had to visit Oakdale. Many of the residents that Eyewitness News has spoken to say that bringing their child here is almost like sending them to die. And, uh, Mandy, you can understand that it's not only just grief that they're feeling, but frustration to say, is my son, is my daughter next? We also know that the school has a massive situation of overcrowding, and that is also making it difficult for teachers to do their job in terms of monitoring their safety. And uh, education, Mandy, is, I can tell you, not necessarily a prime priority at the school. It is safety, it is the well-being of pupils, and fighting, I guess, 
um, you know, for their lives against other people's. Veronica, thank you very much. Uh, Veronica Mahadi, EWN reporter, who's uh, brought us a, a relative there of one of the boys who uh, was wounded in that fight, um, a child dying as well. Uh, these uh, schoolboys from Oakdale Secondary School, the MEC for Education, Matoma Chulwane, is uh, visiting those families and the school today. What's up, Mandy? On 072 uh, good day, Mindy. For me, I think the electricity minister was dishonesty because it's still stage six on many occasions. Because when they say stage three, then it will be three hours in the morning and then another three hours in the evening. Sometimes when they say stage two, it will be two hours in the morning and then another two hours in the evening. So, yes, the only strategy that the electricity minister has done was just to break down the stage six. That's all. But still, it's stage four and stage six almost every day. Thanks, David. Mandy, Mr. Ramaphosa said there's light at the end of the tunnel for the end of load shedding. But the problem is we didn't, we must still reach that tunnel. And how long is that tunnel going to be? I don't see no tunnel yet. Keith here. Maybe they're still building the tunnel, Keith. Thank you very much for those WhatsApp voice notes uh, reflecting on the State of the Nation address, the various interviews we've been playing as well. Let's park that for a minute and go to the courts now. We're watching a few different court cases uh, for you. Uh, the man accused of killing six Zimbabwean sex workers in Joburg. Uh, a big development in that matter, Sofiso Mkwanazi, uh, on the witness stand. A decision on the admissibility of an alleged confession. Uh, we've got a decision there. Mongezi Koko, EWN reporter, covering that one for us. Mongezi, good afternoon to you. Tell us what's happened in court. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, it's been a day filled with developments today. We saw the case finally resuming after it was put off the roll yesterday because Mkwanazi's lawyer had fallen ill suddenly. Now, upon returning today, the court learned that Mkwanazi's statement or confession that he made to his father in October 2022 would be used against him in his main trial, which is now underway. Judge Kasim Musa of the Johannesburg High Court ruled in favor of the state, saying that Mkwanazi made the confession freely and voluntarily without any undue influence. Now, this, of course, uh, shook the defense and uh, prompted the defense to quickly consult Mkwanazi to try and find a way forward. This then led to Mkwanazi's father, Mark Kumalo, taking to the stand. Now, Mark Kumalo has told the court that Mkwanazi actually committed the murders as an act of revenge, Mandy. Now, this stems from his initial arrest. Now, this is prior to this arrest in 2022. In 2021, Mpanazi was arrested on charges of rape, which was laid by one of the sex workers he allegedly murdered. Now, he told his father in his confession that he wanted to get revenge, and that is why he killed the six sex workers between April of 2022 and October.
Sure, big developments there, Mongezi. Thank you very much for that, Mongezi Koko, EWN reporter in that matter of Safisum Kwanazi. So that uh, confession is now admissible. Significant there. And parallels, of course, with the Senzo Miiwa trial, where there is still a trial within a trial around a confession as well. Khamotso Modise, EWN reporter on that one for us. Khamotso, good afternoon to you. One of the accused in that matter is uh, still on the stand, I understand, Bungani and Tanzi. Tell us about that. Good afternoon, Mandy. And I'm listening to your crossing with Mungezi. And I mean, this process, the trial within a trial there in that court, it's been so swift compared to what we're experiencing here in the sense of the U.S. trial. This trial within a trial, uh, in, in its fifth month, it seems, right here in the Pretoria High Court. And the second accused, Mungani Danzi, back on the witness stand today, he's spoken about how he only signed a confession or a pro forma before the magistrate Cronier because he thought that he was signing so that he can be allowed to have a shower and to make a phone call. And he says that uh, when police uh, took him to the Boxburg Magistrate's Court, where he met a Magistrate Cronier, a man came and introduced himself to him and said, listen, my name is Dominic Njiago, and I'm going to be, I'm here representing you. I've been sent by your family. And he says he asked the man who from his family sent him. And if you can see the, the phone numbers of the person that he's been in communication with, apparently Jacko then said it was your sister. And Nancy said, can I see my sister's phone number so I can confirm that you've been sent by my family? And Jacko then didn't show him those details. Um, he's also spoken about how he was assaulted by police for allegedly or supposedly removing a gold, his gold tooth. He says when police took him for an inspection, um, after we know that the people in the house claimed that one of the intruders had a gold tooth, uh, the police assaulted him because they said, you removed your gold tooth between 2014 when Senzo Mayor was killed and 2020 when we arrested you. And so he's been testifying right now and he's going through um, you know, that pro forma that he claims, or that was filled in the Boxwood Magistrate's Court, that he claims Magistrate Cronier never asked him any crucial questions about his rights and whether or not he wants to make that confession freely or uh, freely and voluntarily. Mm. Komoto, thank you very much. Komoto Medise, EWN reporter, uh, who's at the Senzo Miwa trial. And she makes such a great point. Eh? In the, that other court case, we had a trial within a trial that was over in, in like a couple of days. And this one is just dragging on forever. Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. With Tolagele Mganga. Tolakele Mganga coming to us live from our Joburg studios. Uh, in between all of the Sona madness, of course, uh, the, we had the AFCON madness and, and Bafana Bafana. Um, and the president mentioned Bafana Bafana last night, so, but sadly we won't be in the final. Unfortunately not, Mandy, but I think the team, having experienced their first semi-final since 2000, they'll want to make sure that tomorrow when they take on Congo DR, they're still keeping that feel-good factor around the national team going. Of course, they go into it with Hugo Bruch having actually only lost only lost two of his 16 games at this continental competition. And the 71-year-old also saying himself yesterday that even though he is 71 and some people might be going, do not want to retire. He says he looks at this current team and he actually wants to go to a World Cup with them and possibly the next AFCON. But I think for them, now that the tournament is in its final three days, he wants to make sure he's leaving it on a high. I think there'll be questions about which players this might be the last national team game for because 
September's one is 34. You do wonder if he's got the legs to carry us through a whole FIFA World Cup qualification campaign and still be at the tournament in America when it does come about in 2026. So it's a moment of celebration. It might also be one of those what could have been games because we know how the bronze medal final is. But I think for Bafana Bafana, they can walk out with their heads held high because they really did exceed all of our expectations. Mm. Uh, SA20, uh, the final taking place uh, in Cape Town this weekend, right? Yes, it's it's been a, a long week for the Sunrisers Eastern Cape because they've been watching their rivals playing in and playing out. Of course, they're the defending champions. So they'll take on the Durban Super Giants tomorrow. The Giants having beaten the Durban Super Kings who had won on Thursday, or who had won on Wednesday, but then lost on Thursday. It's the second season of the tournament. And I think like we've discussed before, I think the one thing that will maybe be disappointing for SA20 organizers and the big names behind it is just fans haven't really come out in their numbers to fill up the stadiums. But I think because it's at Newlands on a Saturday, maybe some of you guys in Cape Town that are there right now will stay for one more day and attend that final. Uh, don't joke <laughs> I didn't think about it um, I actually drove past Newlands this morning Man, on my way into the, the studio just one more night <laughs> I'm doing brain of 7.02 tomorrow morning oh, at four ways so okay. I think I'll be in big trouble but there's obviously a lot of hype a lot of preparations underway at, at Newlands so it's well worth um, you know getting down to, to Newlands I don't know if you say down or up in Cape Town I'm not sure around the mountain whatever whatever it is you say um, but of course a lot of attention will be on that uh, there is also English uh, Premier League this weekend yes Mandy and just sticking with the crickets the Momentum Pro Tears or the Pro Tears women as we sometimes call them they play their third and final ODI against Australia women they've so far played five matches against the Southern Stars and won two which was the first time when they won in the T20s it was the first time they actually ever beat Australia in any format and then during the week they followed that up in the ODIs I think for Hilton Mureng and this team who have always spoken about how they're rebuilding if they can win an ODI series against Australia it would be a great boost for them and especially as we're preparing for World Cups that are to come and then in the Premier League they're not very big games but it's an opportunity for some teams to kind of lay down a marker when you look at the fact that Arsenal up against West Ham Liverpool up against Mm. Burnley I feel like the big game of the weekend could be Aston Villa up against Manchester United because Villa have a fantastic home record while United do tend to struggle away and in in Unai Emery, a coach who's already exceeded all of expectations with the Villa side, he'll want to make sure that they're reminding the big names of the English Premier League that they're not to be played with. Mm. Tolokele, thank you so much. A lot of sport to look forward to. Tolokele Mganga. Good things. Good things. With Brent Lindeke. Wrapping up for us on a Friday, as always, the good things guy, Brent Lindeke. Happy Friday, Brenty. <laughs> Happy Friday, man, and happy Friday to all of the Cape Talk and 702 listeners. Before we get into it, I must tell you, last night I did a talk uh, for a corporate client in Sun City, and I had so many people, the delegates that were there, that told me that they listen to your show every day and they look forward to Friday every week to hear me on the show. So shout out to all of them. Thank you for listening to the show. We can get into it now, man. Uh, people love this lot because it's some good news uh, after a week of, of negativity. So we try and bring you some light with uh, with all of the shade as well, Brent. Um, so tell us about the South African that sings her way uh, to the, the top with a chance at Eurovision. Yeah, what a crazy story. So obviously we started this week. Uh, we saw Tyler that won a Grammy. That was amazing. We also had Musa Mota, who's been sent through the semifinals of the new America's Got Talent. So they're all on the stage. And now we have a South African singer. Her name's 
Filippa, who's competing in this prestigious Portuguese festival. And if she wins the final, which is happening in a month's time on the 2nd of March, she will go straight through to Eurovision. So we're going to have perhaps and hopefully a South African in Eurovision this year. How epic is that? That is amazing. That's very epic indeed. Uh, South Africa is doing so well on these um, international shows. Um, so a film is on the way for Strictly Come Dancing star, Johannes Khadebe. You know, yeah, Johannes Khadebe grew up in a, a township called Zamelda in the Free State. And, he, and we first got to know him on a South African Come Dancing, Strictly Come Dancing, where he wowed all the audiences and he made the finals twice but then he got scooped up and he moved to the united kingdom where he now has joined the og strictly come dancing which is the the first one that ever came out and he's a professional dancer on there he wrote a book uh, that came out i think it was last year it became a sunday times bestseller called jojo finally home my inspirational memoir and that book is now set to become uh, a movie and we know uh, when we tell South African stories on the global stage, uh, the globe love it. The world love it. We love telling South African stories, having that proudly South African flag flying high, and Johannes will do that. So we are all looking forward to that movie coming out as well. And Brent, tell us about these donations that have arrived at a charity. Um, they went missing in the post. <laughs> so we know that our postal service doesn't really work in South Africa, but the international community don't know that. And, and an Irish person sent through a package to Funda Ninja, which is this um, animal charity, an animal welfare charity. They sent it in July 2023, and they sent a letter or an email to the charity to go, we've sent this parcel for you. We cannot wait for you to get it. And the poor organization just sort of hung their heads in sadness because they thought they'd never see that parcel again. Well, let me tell you, the Howick Post Office put up a, a social media post going, we've got a couple of packages that have been left um, and, and sort of collected. And, uh, and this organization's package was there. So seven months later, they managed to get their hands on a package that had come all the way from Ireland. And that organization has now got some goods to help them get through winter this year. Such a classic South African story, Brent. Thank you so much for, for bringing us uh, the good news after a, a heavy week of politics, Brent. Absolutely. And as I say every single Friday, I'm wishing you only good things. Only good things, Brent Lindeku, the good things guy.